I had a sales manager that asked me once, do you feel more like you do now than you did when you first got here? I think I beat him up, if I remember correctly, just by asking him. So, we're going to talk about, we are going to talk about the doctrine of hell. Um, and I mentioned that last week, and afterwards, two people came up to me, oh man, you've been beating us up enough, can't we talk about something else? Or can we talk about the new heaven and the new earth? No. <laughs> Some other time. <laughs> we're talking about hell. And I think it'll probably be a two-week study. And then I do think we'll do some study in the Psalms after that. Um, that was a good suggestion as well. Because there's all sorts of Psalms and why are there different Psalms and sort of what the Psalms mean. I mean, what do we take from the Psalms that are meaningful to us in a new covenant relationship where the Holy Spirit indwells us? Um, that's always a question we should be asking anyway. But um, let's, let's pray. Father in heaven... What a glorious thing that we could come together to discuss anything that is clean and pure. But this morning to be able to begin a conversation on this topic, which is sort of always in the back of people's minds, perhaps in one way or another, concerns that people we love could end up there. Where does hell fit in with our overall sort of, for lack of a better word, Lord, our system of understanding, our system, our own systematic theology, and what part does it play in our evangelism, Lord? Help us to see what part does it play in our own sense of fear of the Lord? What, is, what role does it play in our sense of gratitude? Help us to think of all these things, not, not just strictly sort of a functional discussion of what hell is, but how it affects us as Christians and how we are to interact with it in general. And we ask in Jesus' name, who sets the captives free and who guarantees the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Amen. Amen. So, in their theological dictionary of the New Testament, Gerhard Kittel and Gerhard Friedrich, Gehenna, most of us, do you know, are you familiar with the Greek term Gehenna, which, from which we derive our English word hell? If not, you are now. Uh, that we, we translate that word Gehenna to mean hell. It's from the Hebrew name for the Wadi Er Rebabi. What's a Wadi? I'm a Wadi. It's like a Wadi Cash? Yeah. I'm a Wadi. You're a Wadi. Yeah, you are a Wadi. <laughs> you know what a Wadi is? Yeah. <laughs> Is it like a spit waddy? Yes. Um, stream, basically. Yeah. Yeah, and it's often. And then in a torrential downpour, it. Yep. It can be a flood. And so oftentimes those will run through a valley. And so hence also the Valley of Hinnom, it's called. This is a place where, in the Old Testament, where parents sacrificed their children to Molech, the pagan god. Jeremiah 7, 30-33 reads, For the sons of Judah have done evil in my sight, declares the Lord. They have set their detestable things in the house that is called by my name to defile it, and they have built the high places of Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire, which I did not command, nor did it enter my mind. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when it will no more be called Topheth or the Valley of the Son of Hinnom, but the Valley of Slaughter. For they will bury in Topheth because there is no room elsewhere. And the dead bodies of this people will be food for the birds of the air and for the beasts of the earth and none will frighten them away. So it was a place for slaughtered bodies to be. And it eventually became as well. What, what, is, it, what is Gehenna in the New Testament specifically? What went on there? What what role did it serve? Yeah, the town dump. Yeah, where dead bodies were thrown, common bodies were thrown, where worms were, obviously, right, eating on decaying corpses. It's good to get a visual graphic of this. And it burned unceasingly. Yep, just continued to burn all the time so that you could throw, just keep feeding it fuel. And the fuel was the bodies of the dead that, you know, could not be entombed or were just forgotten about, dead animals, other garbage, just always burning, smelling. And again, full of beasts and things that would be chewing on the decaying, rotting flesh of other beasts or humans, um, people in all sorts of various states of decay, awful stench of death, burning hair, burning flesh, 
You just can't get a nasty enough visual of it. Um, when I was in Haiti, I remember driving by what they called was the local charcoal pit because that's what a lot of the Haitians did. They sort of manufactured, for lack of a better word, charcoal to sell and for their own cooking. And it was just a massive area, acres and acres of completely charred, burnt land. And you'd have to you'd, you'd have to burn wood, you'd have to bury it for a while, you'd have to burn it, you'd have to redo this process. And that's how you develop charcoal for the fires that they made for cooking and everything. And you drove by and you just smelt nasty stench, you know, which mixed with all the stench of the raw sewage that was flowing through the streets and the garbage that people just dumped into it. Um, pretty good visual of, of what, you know, Gehenna would look like. And so that was the reference. And so anytime Jesus talked about that, or it's mentioned Gehenna, that was the visual that people had. And we'll talk about how some of those verses where Gehenna is referenced, and why it was referenced the way it was. Uh, the New Testament distinguishes between Hades and Gehenna. Uh, the former is temporary, the latter is definitive. The former is for the soul alone, the latter for the united body and soul. The threat of Gehenna in the New Testament is used to show seriousness of sin and to awaken the conscience, the fear of divine anger. Uh, Louis Burkhoff, in his systematic theology, gives four little subpoints as to what hell is like, and I think we <clears throat> need to think of each one a little bit. One is a total absence of the favor of God. How do we take the favor of God for granted at times? Throw it up there, yeah. Well, because it's so all-pervasive, I think we don't even really realize the extent of it. Yes, absolutely. Um, in so many things, to have God's favor, to have His sort of His disposition towards us be nothing but He's even favorable. Let's face it, towards the lost in many ways, and for a very long period of time. But that's, that's absent, is, is Burkhoff's point. Hell is the place where the favor is absent. And that which we take for granted would certainly not be taken for granted there. It would be sorely missed. God's favor to be missed altogether. Even for those, again, that don't even recognize it's God's favor. I, I would say the atheists, the, all unbelievers, but you know the atheists, because there are plenty of faiths that would talk about having God's favor, or God's smile, or God's whatever. There are other religions that would at least recognize that. But the atheists will be aware of what he was, she was denying in hell. Uh, an endless disturbance of life as a result of the complete domination of sin. What does Scripture tell the believer about domination of sin? Sin shall... Yeah, shall no longer have dominion over you. What does that mean? What does it mean that sin shall no longer have dominion over you? We have, a, we, have a, we have a way out. Yeah, we have a Savior. And what way does it have dominion over somebody? Let's, let's, let's say that. It wars against our soul. Yeah, it does. Yeah, fleshly lusts war against the soul. How else does sin have dominion over, not so much obviously a believer, because sin shall no longer have dominion over you, but how does sin have dominion over someone? Yes, Darlene. Um, like before you... You knew the Lord as your Savior. Mm -hmm. It's almost like you didn't have a choice. This mm -hmm. was the natural road. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And then <clears throat> after you knew the Savior's love and salvation, mm -hmm. there's your choice. Mm -hmm. So you sin no longer has the dominion. Yeah, you're no longer slaves to sin. Right? We become slaves of righteousness. Did somebody else have a thought? So, very practically speaking, it's so easy to talk in the abstract. How did sin manifest its dominion over you in your life? And how does it still fight for dominion even though it can't have it? What are some of the specific ways you know, you know, that, that that happens, Wally? I would think that temptation plays a tremendous role because when you're unsaved, you're tempted and you just desire to give into it. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's not even an afterthought. Yeah. And then when you're saved, temptation still works. Mm -hmm. uh, but we don't always give into it and we look at <coughs> They put on the full body of the armor of mm -hmm. Christ to uh, stand against it. What did God say to Cain? This just sort of occurred to me. Crouching at your door, you must master it. Yeah, and sin is crouching at your door. You must have dominion over it. Of course, he couldn't. 
So, but, but every day, in the everyday life of people, the enslavement to sin, the dominion of sin, the choices that they make that continue to um, increase the consequences of detachment from God. You know? Yes? The principle of sin that takes advantage of a man to the lust of the flesh, that power is removed mm-hmm. under a different new law and principle mm-hmm. in Romans 8, mm-hmm. the law of the spirit of life that is in Christ. How does, yes, and how does this dominion, how does this dominion disturb, how, how is it a disturbance in our life? <coughs> Consequences of it. Yeah. Yeah, and, and yeah, that and, and, and you you can't do the things that you would at times, darling. How does it disturb us every day? Um, I used to say I was a quick thick Mick. A quick thick Mick. <laughs> <laughs> I did not know you were Irish. <laughs> um, quick tempered. It was thick, and I was always in a turmoil. Mm. And it would be well, God made me this way. Mm-hmm. You know, end of story. Period. <clears throat> And then after I realized that, you know, I was I was choosing the wrong mm. dominion. Yeah. And so I was always in that turmoil. The people around me was up because it was never my fault. I uh-huh. just want you to know that yeah. right now, okay? Uh-huh. Yep. <laughs> and so after I I really realized the the, the love that the Lord had for me I realized that it's not really all that important mm-hmm. to me more to be right or mm-hmm. yeah you know in my in my gut is so much yes yes uh, Tony next soup. I think it takes our focus off the true God and uh, points us to an idol yeah yeah it just interferes yes I think there's also a component of being held captive by the deception mm-hmm. because I mean, I knew yeah. before I was saved that you don't even know you're sitting sometimes. Yeah. Because you don't know what God requires. Mm-hmm. You just think, you know, you're right in your own eyes. Yeah, and the work of the Spirit is... It's hard to define in terms of how much time it takes to overcome certain <coughs> things in us uh, and that kind of thing. Um, scripture says that we've been translated from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of the Son of His love. So it is a kingdom. It is a place that has mastery. It is a place that impacts so many things we do. I don't like... It's hard. I was just sharing with Kim the other day and it's just having a hard time because it was just one of those weeks where it didn't matter how early I got up to have a little quiet time and study. I think I woke up just as early and there were things... Just constant, constant interruption. Constant interruption. So much so that I just couldn't... It just got too much for me, and I was easily agitated. Just constant interruption. Now, now, part of that is my own struggle with not being God. Right? <laughs> Every day, I'm reminded I'm not God. And in a sense, you know, we always want things to go a certain way. But, but just to give you the <coughs> sense of interruption. So to have like, for hell to be an endless interruption, an endless disturbance of life as a result of the so sin will have total dominion. Unlike even Earth, in, in a sense, I think the dominion will be even greater because there's no rescue. So I don't know sort of what will go on in hell in terms of those things, but I like that sense that Burkhoff captures of that endless disturbance, that endless sort of... which would continue to feed hopelessness and despair, I would think. Because I think even in your week, uh, there was times of rest that you would go to sleep. Right, yeah. Uh, Imagine not having that, re- that sh- even if it's a short period of time. Yeah, no respite at all. I, I, I agree. I mean, uh, yeah. I just can't, I don't think we can imagine it. I was watching a video the other day of a guy that he woke up one morning and like his right side, he couldn't move. He had this sudden onset multiple sclerosis and life had gotten very, very difficult. And one of the things that one of these groups does that goes around trying to give people some sort of a blessing to... In, in light of the story that they've heard and the difficulty they've gone through. So they go around getting corporate sponsors to do things to give this person a break. And they came to this guy and this woman and they were filming it and they said, we just really want to give you a good day. We just want you to have a good day. And so they arranged for a trip to the zoo and to have central air conditioning installed in the house and all these other nice, nice things because it was in the middle of a heat wave. 
And this this tells me, and, and I suppose Burkhoff's point would be that there are no there is no break, there is no good day, there is no. I just need time for me. Positive. Now this act, I might need a little uh, if you're input in. I will. Positive pains and sufferings in body and soul, as opposed to negative pains and sufferings. I don't know what that means. Positive pains. <coughs> Positive pains. I'm not sure what that means unless it's it's not. Yeah. I would think that a positive pain would be a pain that would cause me to cry out to the Lord and uh, to look to Him, where negative pain just hurts. I don't know because in hell, obviously, there's not going to be any calling out for God. There's, there's, there's the potential argument that there's ongoing rebellion every single day against God still. So. Well, I, I, I just reminded that uh, pain is a gift to mm-hmm. us. Because it, it alerts us to think something that is wrong and mm. needs to be addressed and okay. maybe can be remedied. Yep. Huh. Um, I don't think that's going to be the case in hell. Yeah. I don't know. He could have left off either positive or negative and just said pains. Or what do you think? What's well, off thinking? I, I think he, a lot of times in theological discourse we will state things negatively. Right. So when we say that God is eternal will say God is atemporal or not temporal. Yep. And yep. So I, I don't think it's positive versus negative in terms of like quality versus sad. Right. I think it's positive versus negative in terms of present actual okay. versus we're stating something that's not there. That would be very much like Burkhoff to speak in that way then. So I don't I don't think it means positive pain in the sense of gotcha. happy pain, but positive pain in the sense of actual existence. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> and then finally, such subjective punishments as pangs of conscience, anguish, despair, weeping, and gnashing of teeth. What, is, what does he mean by subjective punishments? That means it changes by what? Subject as opposed to object. So there will be everyone's own unique individual experience of hell. Um, nobody will want anyone else's, but everyone will be so caught up in their own. Uh, but this sounds pretty awful, doesn't it? Hades is uh, Hades is from the Greek term for Sheol, which is a temporary place sometimes in the New Testament designated as a place for all the dead, as in Acts two twenty seven, right? In Acts two twenty seven, brother Gary, what's that say? Mm-hmm. That's just unkind. Isn't it? it was not possible that he should be holding of death. Yeah. That would be my guess. Yeah, you're. you're you're, you're, you're dancing right there sort of on the precipice you will not abandon my soul to Hades right quoting David says concerning him uh, you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your holy one see corruption what's that a reference to yeah Do you know, and, and what in particular yes how, how did Jesus not see corruption what does that mean yeah, he didn't decay. His, his body didn't. He didn't experience. He didn't experience the, the the decay of death, so to speak, and all that goes with it. So we see in Acts two twenty seven that uh, in, in this particular reference, you would seem, in, as you often do in the Old Testament, that Hades is sort of this place of just where the dead go for a while. Anyway, that was very much a part of not only Jewish Old Testament thought, but all kinds of pagan thought. You can read. Homer's Iliad and there's things in there about where people went in the afterlife and it was a place of darkness and wandering and, and sort of hopelessness but um, intended to be temporary. In other places it seems like it's just a place for the wicked. We have the reference in Luke 16.23 and we did the parable on this um, and this is why I insisted at the time that we don't see this person in hell. He was buried, he was buried and in Hades being in torment he lifted up his eyes. So, his torment has begun. Um, it can't be Hades yet. I mean, it can't be hell yet. Um, hell ain't happening yet for him. That's coming. And then there's other there's other issues as well as we see as we go through. Sort of what happens to uh, Hades itself, the place... Well, let's go to Revelation 20, 13 to 14 because it's there. I do believe that in Hades, I think the scriptural... Obviously, the point of, of that parable is... Um, and the reason why I don't believe that it's I don't believe Abraham's bosom is another name for heaven I don't, so if there's this place after death that, that just uh, um, uh, whatever the final presence of, with Christ is I don't know that that's like paradise is Abraham's bosom is that the same as the fullness of the marriage supper of the Lamb and the new Jerusalem heavenly Jerusalem I don't 
I don't think so. It's a case to be made that that's not the case. Chapter 20, verses 13 to 14. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death in Hades. This is in Todd's Tuesday night group. We've been doing this. Uh, the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death in Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. So whatever Hades is, it's going to be destroyed when, 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 when it's all wrapped up. Death and Hades will be thrown into the lake of fire. Or, or we say destroyed. We're going to talk about what that term means as well. Okay, There's a lot of nuances to this. Hell is not... We would like to think it's a very easy concept to talk about. We will see, obviously, what the traditional understanding of hell is and then where some people have taken it recently and, and, and maybe one of the places or two of the places in between. So whatever it is, it's going to be thrown into the lake of fire as well as anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life will also be thrown into the lake of fire. Which, by the way, was prepared for who? The devil and his angels. Yeah. Yeah, it was prepared for the devil and his angels. What's initially the problem with that in your mind? Does anything come into your mind that says, okay, that presents a problem for me? Existence of evil. I'm sorry? The existence of evil. Uh, that, that's something that could be. It's not the point what, that I had in mind. The, the question is, if, 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 if the lake of fire was prepared for the devil and his angels... Okay, the first time I read that, and then I read this, I mean, not the first time, but one of the things that occurs to me is, if it was prepared for the devil and his angels, why wasn't it also prepared for mankind? Right. That's always troubled me a little bit. Yeah. Did God, was it an afterthought for God? I mean, oh, geez, I'll throw them there too. I mean, I just sound so irreverent. I'm sorry. I shouldn't even talk about... Maybe, they, maybe because the devil and the angels were the first ones through the door. So I don't know. I don't know. It's, just, it's always nagged at me. Yeah. Do you think that perhaps <clears throat> since man has relegated himself to follow the devil and the ways of temptations and sin, that God simply said, you're going to go with the devil, your father? I don't know. I mean, anything's, anything's, anything's uh, discussable. <laughs> the devil and the angels were created prior to mankind. <coughs> uh-huh. So the good doom would have been determined even before they can, before the origin of man. Mm-hmm. That's true. But the whole so thing, was man. But the whole thing was conceived at once. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a progressive yeah, uh, I, plan. You know, it wasn't like, well, we'll go this far and yeah. build something else and add on. Darlene? God doesn't have a plan B. That's true. That is a fact. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the statement itself doesn't exclude others to go in the lake of fire. It's just yeah. a statement saying compared to the devil and his angels yeah. to try to squeeze more. Yeah, maybe, maybe it's a, maybe it's just a point, like so many things in the Revelation about just how evil man must be if he ends up in a place that was prepared for. So maybe it's not a place of. It's not so much a situational. Uh, not so much a punishment God had reserved for one group and then decided that it's fitting for the other group, but maybe it's just put there to intend to point us to just how evil mankind must be. Yes? How interesting it would be to contrast it with what Jesus says, I go and prepare a place for you Amen. that there I am. Yeah. The devil has gone to a place that's prepared for him, yeah. and others who follow him will go where he is. Mm. Another, another thing to draw mm. from that point of us or a human being being cast into the lake of fire where worm dieth not where Satan and his angels are mm-hmm. is that the, the suffering duration of angels and the devil particularly is endless mm-hmm. yep. which is the equivalent to the duration of time that the wicked will suffer mm-hmm. yep that's one of the points that we'll bring up as well when we consider is hell actually eternal or isn't it um, and what position certain people have taken on that people of profound insight and anyway uh, N.T. Wright <coughs> commenting on a chapter in his little 800 book called uh, The Resurrection of the Son of God uh, he said Sheol you know Abaddon the pit the grave the dark deep regions the land of forgetfulness these almost interchangeable terms denote a place of gloom and despair a place where one can no longer enjoy life and where the presence of Yahweh is Withdrawn. That was the understanding, and again, a lot of even pagan understanding. One of Jews and Christians aren't the first persons to deal with the question of the afterlife. Long before there were Christians, and long before God chose Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees, 
And long before he brought them out of Egypt, there were people preparing for the afterlife, right? I mean, that's what the pyramids are all about, as well as every other religion. That is the default position that's encoded in our spiritual DNA, is that there's afterlife. So we just, we just know it. And it's not because we just, throughout history, uneducated people thought, well, no, it's, just, it's, 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 it's who we are. It takes a lot of work to deny the soul. Okay, why do we suppose the doctrine of hell is important for us to discuss? L- let me begin by asking this. Which do you suppose is more conducive to the salvation of souls? The threat of hell or the preaching of the gospel? The revealed love of God, I guess. In other words, there are, what, what, what do you suppose is... Um, well, when uh, Years ago, I went to Fenway Park one of the times I went to Fenway Park and this dude was there he was there often he had this great big plywood sign hanging over him on both sides and um, and on the front of it there was this medieval Roman Catholic picture of hell you know souls falling into a fire you know the devil like with a pitchfork and you know, all these macabre scenes of, it was pretty well done pretty creative and it said on it heaven or hell your choice the guy just stood there passing out gospel tracts. Everyone who came along. Heaven or hell, your choice. And uh, I thought that was very simplistic. And it is very simplistic. I didn't just think it was. It's very simplistic. It's not as simple as that. Um, and this one guy came up to him and he just got right in his face. And he looked at him and he said, I choose hell. Just like that. I did, my hair stood up on the back of my neck, you know. But I was like, he's not saying anything different than 95% of the people that just walked by this guy smiling at him. Really? He just sort of... Um, but I think he wanted to open up a conversation, actually. But yeah, maybe. Yeah, I just think it's... Uh, personally, my personal opinion is that it's a really lame way to evangelize. I just think it's it's an oversimplification. I think it's a... Um, Usually opens up an argument, right? Yeah, I, I, exactly. I think it produces more heat than light. You know what I mean? Maybe that's fitting into the situation. I just It just seems, you know... Uh, I, I, I'm not a big fan of it. Maybe others can do it. I, I can't. I can't dogmatize on it. I just think it's very fluffy and superficial, and uh, and, and, I, and I think it just goes against. I don't know. Am I wrong in thinking that there's, in a general sense, more of a fear of death than there is a, an attraction to uh, eternal life? It's definitely a fear of death. I mean, Scripture says that uh, that Jesus came to. It talks in Hebrews about those who all did, you know, Satan had the power of death, and all those that their whole life long had a fear of death, because they fear the judgment of God. The fear of death is ultimately it's other things too, but it's also a fear of the judgment and the wrath of God. You know, that's in Hebrews chapter two, I think. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I, I kind of, if I understand what you're asking. I think it's the gospel that has the power mm-hmm. because death is really the default position. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I just, you know, I wonder if sometimes they, you know, you hear the preaching of hell and there's a place for it. Um, and I don't know, you know, it's, it, I, I think sometimes which is more powerful? Mm-hmm. The love of God which draws sinners to himself or the threat of hell and eternal punishment? And does that in some way. If, if if it's not if it's not promoting uh, holiness in that sense, of, I mean, if it's not promoting the gospel, is it just sort of trying to get people? Does it send the wrong message? Does it send the wrong message that people just want to escape hell? Well, nobody wants to go to hell. Even the people that joke around, like, oh yeah, I want to go to hell to be with all the sinners, you know. Um, well, Jesus wasn't shy about speaking about it. That's for sure. No. Yep. Yeah, and he said, and the kingdom of God was among them. Repent. Uh, even before he started talking about hell, he was just talking about repentance in general. So, I mean, there's certainly a place for the preaching of hell. My understanding is, I don't know if history is accurately reported, there was a substantial turning away from uh, sin and repentance when Jonathan Edwards preached sinners in the hands of an angry God. Paul said, 2 Corinthians 5.11, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord... Mm. We persuade, persuade men. men. Yeah. So I mean, the gospel is really um, minimized mm-hmm. if there's no oh, sure. no punishment to be delivered from. Well, there has to be bad news for there to be good news, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that 
So in that case, that particular that verse seems to me is speaking to the fact that we know what it would mean. We've come to see more fully what it means to be away from God and the terror that that evokes. That's a good sort of provocation to evangelism. You know what I mean? Yeah, Tony. Could there be um, two different views? One for the saved and one for the unsaved. Um, I'm speaking personally in that I, I think my, my anticipation of heaven is much greater than my fear of hell. Um, and if I can remember correctly, before being saved, it was definitely the opposite. I think, I think the preaching of hell works because uh, when it works, when it's used and God uses it as a means to the gospel, it's because God is using that to excite the fear and the terror in the sinner. To help them to see just exactly what you've done in separating yourself from me. This is what it means to be apart from me. The terror you're feeling right now, this is what it means to be apart from me. This is what it means to be against me. This is what it means to be my enemy. And I'm, I'm willing to completely forgive that and deliver you from that. So do you think those who still choose hell, they'll get there and go, oh, maybe she was right. I should have listened to her. Uh, well, I think you know everything the scripture says is is uh, is this complete hopelessness and despair. We look a little bit at the parable, if it's a parable, I think it is, as we taught on it. That uh, the rich man and Lazarus, when the rich man ended up in Hades, he was in torment. Um, so yes or no? Yes, I think it's an anguish. I don't. I mean, I don't know what will it be like exactly. Oh, gee, she was right. Uh, there's a certain sense in which I think they already know it's right. Um, well, very hard to the weeping and the gnashing of teeth. Yeah, because there's a recollection of sorrow and of missed opportunities with the weeping, mm-hmm. and yet there's still inward sinful hatred of of man to God. Yeah, it's awful. It's uh, it is the place of a. Well, I call a place the uh, hell the place of incomplete humanity. It's a place where incomplete humans end up. You know, it's it's where human scrap goes, so to speak. Not to speak of reverence, but those people are incomplete. We're not complete without God in His presence. We're meant for, we're created for union with Him, relationship with Him. And so, uh, yeah. I don't, when you look at the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, and I think D.A. Carson makes this point, the rich man, when he's in hell, is not sorrowful, he's not repentant. No. So right. He doesn't even necessarily change his posture to no. the poor man. He's still in the That's exactly right. Yep. Who still wants the servant to do his bidding. Exactly right. Abraham, why don't you send him to go to my yeah. family? So, yep. I think there's still a sense of self-importance. There is. And mm-hmm. I... My conception, at least, is that people are going to be in hell blaming God for their suffering oh, yeah. rather than owning... Because that, that is repentance. Good if you point. own your sin and say, this is my fault, I've done this, mm-hmm. that's genuine heartfelt repentance. And right. I don't know that that can be experienced. I just don't think it can. I think the, yeah. day, the time for repentance is here on earth. Right. That, repentance is for here and now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Gary. I met a pastor one time... He, was wearing a collar downtown. He was inside the Worcester Galleria, which was the uh, old uh, mall downtown. And he had a, 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 a sign next to him and said, if you would like to talk with me, I will be glad to do so. That's awesome. So it was pretty cool. And so I got in line. Uh-huh. Um, but I was the 10th person in line. There were a lot of people uh-huh. in line. I think because of the collar and whatnot. Uh-huh. This would have gone back in the 80s, I think. Um, we ended up spending two hours. I said, can you call, come outside with me? My media, 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 meter is going to run out. Mm-hmm. So, But his point was that there is opportunity after this life to get right with God. That was his and point? You could repent after wow. you die. Wow. I said, that is totally foreign. Yeah. So we went back and forth, you know, I was giving scriptures after scripture. He said, no one has been able to prove to me out of scripture huh. that that's true. Interesting. And I came Tried. up with, I think, a number of them to yeah. support that idea. I do think, you know, just going back to Fenway for a minute, I mean, I do think that that could introduce, is there no one that would be impacted by that? I couldn't possibly say that. Maybe that, Guy was there for five years doing that, and two people are going to twelve. Who knows? Wasn't there, you know? Yeah. Defending, you know, going into hell. That wasn't yeah. part of the subject. But mm-hmm. I could see he had a defective gospel, yeah. and it resulted in the fact that he had this view. And he happened to tell me that he says I've heard you many times on the Worcester Common, and I totally disagree with you. Mm. I didn't even know he was in the audience. Yeah. But he said I don't believe in penal substitution. Wow. He missed an awful lot. And he was a Episcopalian <laughs> minister. His name was Lang Baldwin. I remember that. Really? Interesting. He passed to the church in Worcester. Wow. Trinity. Well, he, he's, he's got some issues. Billy Graham said, if we had more hell in the pulpit, we'd have less hell in the pew. 
Yeah. <laughs> if we have more hell in the pl- yes. Um, Sandy. I was just thinking that maybe people don't even think they're actually they don't think they're bad mm-hmm. doing something wrong, so they don't think they're going to hell. So seeing something like that. Mm-hmm. That's not be yeah, good point. Yeah, good point. Oh, yeah, that's how people comfort themselves. But even that's a deception. Yeah. Even that is a complete avoidance. You know, when people say, I've always gone to a better place now, and uh, I mean, you can't say anything at that point. What can you say about that point when someone has died? You know, what makes you think they were in a better place? I mean, somebody once said, uh, I, I did say to a woman at work once when she was talking about um, you know uh, you know this uh, physician assisted suicide and and uh, and this wasn't this was something I shared that I read and I said and she said you know what if it's going to end this suffering I said what if it's really only the beginning of this suffering yeah. what if it's the beginning of a suffering that can't even compare to what they've just gone through I don't know but what if what if you're just assuming that the suffering ends on what basis you know yeah. you know I just told Sandy I was just going to say the same thing. And I think that's part of what I said about the deception. Mm. When Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against him building his church, mm-hmm. right. yep. hell is not um, the one that goes forward. It's the one that keeps people in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, somebody Jesus said... Is there to release the captives. Mm. I read a quote that said, "Hell is locked from the inside," yeah. uh, something like that. And it was just somebody made. It might have been C.S. Lewis or something. Because he was so esoteric in that way. The little phrase I remember is that from the Christian, "This is the worst it'll ever be." Yeah. You guys know who Penn Jillette is? Yeah. Penn and Teller. <coughs> yeah. Penn Jillette said, "I've always said that I don't." And he's an atheist. I always said I don't respect people who don't proselytize. What is it to proselytize? evangelize right I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize I don't respect that at all if you believe there's a heaven and a hell and people could be going to hell and not getting eternal life and you think it's not really worth telling them because this would make it socially awkward and atheists who think people shouldn't proselytize who say just leave me alone and keep your religion to yourself how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize how much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that I mean, if I believed beyond the shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. Wow. Thank you, atheist. Right? Um, yeah, that there's an afterlife. And why don't we talk more about it? Yep. Yeah, Al Martin said, and I'm going to paraphrase what he said because I don't have the exact quote in my head anymore, but he said, if you just proclaim the love of God, he says, you're going to be, people are going to respond to you as a well-meaning, uh-huh. uh, tender-hearted, deluded person. Yep. And he says, um, but once you start preaching hell, mm-hmm. he says, now you're a bigoted, yeah. uh, judgmental mm-hmm. uh, you know, person. So, you know, the idea is that you really can't strip one from the other. You well, right. Can't. And, you know, we don't, we're not sharing our thoughts with people. You, you know, you always preface your remarks with, especially when people start with that, you're, you say, look, I, I'm sharing with you what Jesus taught his followers 2,000 years ago. This is crystal clear. This is not debatable whether this was taught or not. Mm-hmm. Whatever else you think about Jesus, there's not a decent theologian in the world or anyone that understands textual tran- transmission, how, how we get ancient texts and they're reliable. Nobody would argue that Jesus didn't say these things. He clearly did. So I'm just tell, I'm telling you what Jesus said. And I have good reason to believe Jesus rose from the dead. I have excellent reason to believe that what he said is true and anything that contradicts it is false. And he taught about hell. And I think it's important enough then that if, he, if it was important enough to him, it's important for me to know because a lot of people dabble in the afterlife. If you're going to dabble in the afterlife, you better know a little bit about it from the guy that knew more about it than anybody else. J.C. Ryle basically said the same thing as Penn Jillette said it a little more succinctly. If I never spoke of hell, J.C. Ryle, 18th century preacher, if I never spoke of hell, I should think I had kept something that was profitable and should look on myself as an accomplice of the devil. If I never preached of hell. Like J.C. Ryle. Hebrews 6, 1-3. 
This is a, this is a neat verse. And I, and I want to get from you what you think. This this is this study is going to go longer than two weeks, I think. It's a great Advent topic. It is. It is. It is, since Christ was born to die. I preached a sermon on that once called Born to Die. It's true. Yeah, yeah, maybe, you know, God's timing is excellent on things. This Maybe this will sort of give us a reason to think, hey, see those pretty lights on that tree? They don't have those lights in hell. <laughs> Therefore, let us leave the... Ele- let you, and I'm going to ask you, why am I bringing this verse up? Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God and instructions about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. What do you suppose is my point in this? <laughs> what do you suppose is my point in this? The last phrase, eternal judgment. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is... Paul's point here is it's interesting because he's saying it's time for us to go on to maturity. These are some essential things you ought to have settled in your head by now. And I'm going to bring you there. You know, he says in another place, the Corinthians, I've got to keep giving you milk because you're not ready yet, you big babies. Right? You're still drinking milk. You ought to be mature people. And J. Vernon McGee wants to say, there's a bunch of babies, a bunch of little babies crying over things. Right? I've got to give you milk because you're still babies. Uh... But so Paul's point here is, look, this is a settled thing. This is an essential sort of doctrine. This is basic. This is one of the things, and not only so, but who's, well, who's the audience, the Hebrews mostly? Jewish. Yeah, Jewish. So these things were also part of just Jewish understanding. Okay, these things were part of Jewish understanding, made complete in the New Testament. But all of those things... Uh, going on, not laying again a foundation, repentance from dead works, faith towards God, instructions about washings, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment. All these things were very familiar. People and Jewish people were fluent in these topics. Okay, so the things that should have been known about. So it's always been. So, so that tells me if it's sort of that, you know, there's really not good reason to have a whole lot of biblical disagreement on this particular subject. Okay. Uh, we'll get we'll begin to get into some scripture here. I got like nine scripture verses that just so we get familiar with how hell is discussed in the New Testament in particular. Um, so we'll get started on that. And we'll go to Matthew twenty-five. What does Jesus say about this? What, what do we find out from? And this couldn't be a whole new concept to people when they heard this. When Jesus said, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. But that had to have meant something. There had to be some context in their <coughs> excuse me, in their theology. That had to mean something. Whatever it meant. Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and the angels. This is the separation of the sheep and the goats right at the end of time. And he goes on to say contrasting the one to the other, these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Okay? And we'll see as we talk about maybe in the third week, there are some that believe that eternal punishment, whereas on one hand, this verse should seem to make it very obvious that the that there's a parallel being drawn. So if, if eternal life is eternal, then eternal punishment is eternal. But those that are arguing, no, that doesn't mean that at all. Because I do want to, I want to carefully introduce some of the thought that has come against this, uh, and I say carefully because people are in different places. And the last thing I want to do is implant in you some hope of something that isn't really there, but that other people bring up. Really good people in some cases. Uh, Matthew ten twenty eight. Well meaning people. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Or Gehenna. Right? Don't fear the ones that can... So, don't fear people that can just kill your body. Fear the one that can destroy both body and soul in hell. What, what is that? What do you think destroy means there? 
<coughs> I mean, if they're <coughs> talking about, on the one hand, putting an end to the body, right? Don't fear those that can take life from the body, that they can't touch the real, they can't touch the, your soul. But fear the one that can touch your soul, can do something to your soul. Thoughts, brother? Luke twelve five, Jesus says something similar. He says, Fear him mm. who after he hath killed has mm. authority to cast mm. you into hell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think it's the authority and also the uh, accountability that man has to God in contrast to mm. accountability they have to men or fear of man versus yeah. fear of God. And it's going to be important to keep this distinction of hell and Hades because I think there's an important distinction Scripture makes in that. Right? Because if the Scripture says in that verse we can cast you into Hades, that's not the same as casting you into hell. Ultimately it is because Hades is not the permanent abode. We already know that. But isn't that, wouldn't that be considered at least a temporary... Definitely, yeah, as I, as I mentioned. Yes. So even though we may use the word hell rather loosely, mm-hmm. we're still conveying the same thought. He died and went to hell, but we, technically speaking, you don't go to up the Gehenna hell until the lake of fire. Yeah, I, I just think it's an important... I think it's a distinction that Scripture makes, so it's a distinction that we should make. Just like when we die physically, we're going to be in the presence... We're going to be with Christ. But that's not going to be the same as the, like the new heavens and the new earth. and the, You know, the new Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem, right? There is... Alex? Yeah. Exactly. And I just think it's... Um, because part of that means... Because I think in Hades you know the final you were, you're there and you know the final judgment is coming. I remember as a kid coming home from <laughs> coming home from uh, Saturday catechism when we went to uh, when we were brought up in the Catholic Church and we stopped at a corner drugstore and we knocked it off. Me and my brother and sister stole some candy from the candy shelf and my little sister ratted us out and my father said to me. That afternoon, when he found out for my daughter, he said, tonight after supper, you're getting the strap. I had to think about that all day. I mean, just thinking about it now, I can I feel that same sense of fear that I felt. It was a matter of being in this, this holding place, this intermediate state of a place, knowing, and you know already, that it's coming. That the final... Because in hell, you don't get to anticipate that it is coming, it's there. There's something, at least, almost a, a false sense of relief that it isn't happening yet. If there is a, um, if when we die as believers, mm-hmm. Christians, mm-hmm. Um, says that our spirit goes directly to be with the Lord. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Okay, so if our spirit, when we die, goes directly with the Lord. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, Scripture seems to make it pretty clear that there's a very conscious awareness of what presence we're in. So much so that the rich man could use terms like, I'm in torment, I'm in agony. Obviously, he doesn't have a physical body, so he's not experiencing that. Yeah. But there's torment that we can experience that we only have physical terminology to compare to. I also think that because Jesus, for example, I, I believe Abraham's bosom and paradise are the same. Is, is that your understanding? Is that accurate? Gary, you know? Well, it, it, it was a term that became, became used in the intertestamental period right. that referred to the place of departed spirits. Yep. And I think it's somewhat generic uh-huh. rather than specific. Because Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Correct. He didn't say heaven. No, exactly. So, it, right, because it, it is an intermediate place. It isn't the... Uh, even Jesus said, I haven't ascended to my Father yet. So wherever Jesus was... I, I speculate about, you know, what was it like for Jesus... He was in a disembodied existence long before he was embodied. But now, as the man, God-man, who's still a human, he was in a disembodied human state for a couple, three days. Parts of three days. 
You know, he experienced what we're going to experience. So, um, absent from the body is to be at home with myself, <laughs> Jesus would say. But people, he who was with that thief on the cross, he was with them. I think Paul speaks to this, I think, in First Corinthians or Second Corinthians. Mm. At, a, at one point, he says it's better to die and be with the Lord. Yes. But then, I believe it's in First or Second Corinthians, he says, rather than to take off the yes. garment, it's yes. better to be further clothed. Yes. Yep. And so, he, there, there is an, an understanding of the intermediate state, yes. but that's sort of the, the yep. holding pin yep. for the true resurrection yes. of that. Jonathan Edwards said, we're going to be, Christians are going to be resurrected unto unspeakable joy. Amen. The damned will be resurrected mm-hmm. to something equally unspeakable. Yep. And and I think that's the the reality yep. that we're facing. And and why is there an intermediate state? Because that's what God chose for there to be. But there will be one, and Jesus was there, and will be there as well. Uh, it, it'll be an anticipation of you know. It's kind of like when I remember. Um, but we, we all know what it's like to go from point A to point B, but you got to stop somewhere in between. Uh, and, and the anticipation of getting there is really cool, you know. Like if you're going away to going on a cruise or something. I've never been on a cruise. Kim doesn't like boats, so I'll likely never be on a cruise. But you're going somewhere, and it's like you're all excited. So you're flying from Boston, and you got to go to Atlanta first, and you get to Atlanta, and you're all excited, and you know, because you're going somewhere else. You know what I mean? You're not there yet, but you're away from work, you're away from all the other stuff, you're away from everything. You're getting your break. We're in Atlanta. We're only going to be here for a day. Well, this is cool. But you're going to Florida, or you get on the boat, so it's coming, right? The return trip's not the same, you know, like, oh man, getting closer and closer to it, right? It's like Atlanta's not nearly as exciting on the way home, but it's, it, there's a place of anticipation. Our anti- and I wonder if it's because our anticipation right now is very incomplete. It's very interrupted. It's very disturbed. It's easily lost. But I wonder if, I wonder if the intermediate place is a place for Christ where we get to go, where we can really experience anticipation uninterrupted and what that'll be like and how much greater we'll be when we get when things are sort of finally wrapped up so I wonder if the intermediate state is a place for us to anticipate right it's a great place of uninterrupted unfettered anticipation let's leave you off here pick up next week with, with wherever that'll take us Susan will you please pray for us